Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, Madhuni Christian, joined again today by Ned Russell. We talk about JetBlue, Hawaiian, and the troubles facing Boeing and Avianca's day in court. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey there, Ned. How are you this week? Good, Madhu. Lovely fall weather here in D.C. How are you doing? Well, we survived the deluge here in San Francisco, the fourth wettest day in history. Um, and uh, it was, uh, we're, we're surviving. But <laughs> Glad to hear you didn't wash away. Is, uh, is the drought done out there? No, no, it put a small dent in the drought, but we're still suffering the drought. But anyway, no one wants to hear about the weather. Let's talk about airlines. Absolutely. Well, it's you know we are in the thick of earnings seasons right now. With uh, this week, we have heard from Hawaiian and JetBlue, and they've given some some interesting insight on on how the recovery is progressing. Isn't that right, Madhu? That is right. That is right. But hey, before we get started on that, let I just want to remind all our listeners that the Skift Aviation Forum is this in no on November 17th. It's online again this year in partnership with Dallas-Fort Worth, and we have a lot of really good speakers lined up, including Stephen Edvarhazi, Doug Parker, and um, and Scott Kirby. So uh, so check us out at live.skift.com on how to register. Registration is free for uh, Airline Weekly subscribers. Now let's get back to Hawaiian, Ned. <laughs> Absolutely. So things are they're starting to restart some of their international network now that the right. U.S. is reopening. That's right. Um, so, and also, also crucially, Australia is reopening. So, Australia had, as we know, one of the most stringent travel restrictions during the pandemic. The, the, it was jokingly called the Hermit Kingdom, um, but it is lowering the drawbridge again. In um, for vaccinated travelers, will not need um, to quarantine. And at first, it's going to be Australian citizens and permanent residents who can return to Australia without having to quarantine for two weeks. But Hawaiian's pretty encouraged by this and is going to go back to five times weekly service between Honolulu and Sydney in December. So that is the first restart of um, Hawaiian's once expansive international network. Definitely. No, that's that's great. It's a great sign for the travel recovery. You know, anecdotally, I've heard a lot from my Australian friends that everyone's a lot of eagerness to get out of the country and now that it's reopening. So. Sounds like uh, there's going to be a, a flood of Australians heading to places like Hawaii and elsewhere when uh, when things when it reopens. Right, and you know, but uh, it's an important market for Hawaiian, and I think it's a really symbolic move on their or symbolic. It's symbolic to the to the airline um, that it's restarting its international network. But what they're really looking forward to and excited about is the reopening of Japan, which is by far and away their largest international market and South Korea. Did they give is, any color on when the, that could occur, Japan and South Korea reopening? Um, no definite dates, but the vaccination rate in both those countries, which had lagged the U.S. for several months, but now is ahead of the U.S. So the con- both countries are um, starting to talk about removing some of their travel restrictions. And when they do, I, I think the crucially would be when they removed restrictions for their citizens needing to quarantine upon return to Japan or South Korea. So when those restrictions are lifted, Hawaiian plans to go back full force and is, you know, keeping its staffing levels pretty high in anticipation of uh, the international restart, probably in the first quarter of the year. Of the next Good, so they, they won't face any of the, um, any of the staffing issues some airlines have faced if they're, if they're keeping staff on the books and ready to go for when, when those flights come back. 
Yeah, Peter Ingram, the CEO, said during um, the company's earnings call that um, that they will be a little overstaffed for the rest of the year, but they're not changing any of the, you know they're not going to reduce staff, they're not going to pause um, some of their flight attendant and pilot training classes that are underway now, simply because they know they'll need that that that. Uh, staff on hand when Japan and South Korea reopen. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. Do, are they facing any housing pressure, though? Because, I, I mean, that was sort of a tale that I heard. <laughs> well, it's been a tale to, from from several of the other carriers, American, uh, Delta, Southwest, especially last week. We're talking about fourth quarter chasms. Uh, the analysts have also brought that up, just you know, with the recovery slowing, chasms rising a lot faster. But and it'll be interesting to see whether that happens at Hawaiian in the fourth quarter, because if they're a little overstaffed for the flying uh, that they're doing. Well, you know, uh, the the color that uh, Shannon Okinaka, the um, CFO, provided was that Chasm X, Chasm excluding fuel, uh, will be down between 7 and 11% compared with 2019 because oh, the, wow. car- the airline will be flying 18 to 21% lower capacity in the fourth quarter than it did in 2019, which is a little bit different from some of the mainland carriers. Uh, I mean, you have right. to remember, first of all, it's it's international network is all but si- sidelined. And in the fourth quarter, it'll just reintroduce Sydney. Secondly, um, you know, there's some... C- the um, mainland demand in, in December isn't as high as it is in, in, at other parts of the year. So um, especially with these new markets of uh, Orlando and Austin, which had launched during the p- pandemic, they, they said they're seeing a lot. Hawaiian said they're seeing some seasonality with those markets. So it makes sense that, you know, chasm will be lower because capacity is a lot lower than than some of their peers. OK, well, interesting. And then is there something to uh, 2022? They're keeping an extra aircraft, an extra Airbus uh, around. So. Yeah, actually, that's uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Ned. Uh, they're keeping two of their A330s. They just extended the that were due to come off lease next year or have been extended for another couple of years. And uh, as we know, you know, Hawaiian has 10 Boeing 787s on order. Those those deliveries have been delayed partially because of Boeing's issues with uh, the 787 and partially just because Hawaiian didn't need the capacity. But now Hawaiian is looking at those as growth aircraft rather than replacement for the A330s. Oh, interesting. And because market rates are pretty low, lease rates are pretty low for A330s now, they're they're retaining the option of extending other leases as well as, as aircraft come to the end of their lease cycle in case they demand returns in such a way that they need the 787s purely for growth and not replacement. Because you remember the 78s were originally to replace the aging A330s. So yes. now they plan, you know, Hawaiian plans to keep some of those A330s around to give them the flexibility to move capacity up if they need to. Oh, well, so it's, it sounds like it's a pretty good uh, outlook from Hawaiian. You know, even if even if they're still waiting on international coming back, they're, they're pretty bullish on, on at least the medium to long term, which well, is be, you know, 2022 yeah. and later. It is and it isn't. It's interesting that the medium and long term look pretty good for Hawaiian, but the near term is not so great. I mean, the Delta variant, Hawaii essentially shut down again. The governor in August uh, sort of asked people not to come to Hawaii until the Delta variant surge had receded and and travel's really not expected to pick back up until November 8th. Um, or the governor requested, you know, people not come until November 8th. I mean, um, so some of that, uh, they saw a huge surge in demand like everyone else in July and August, and then that just fell off a cliff. 
and the tail end of August and September and October. And things are starting to pick up a little bit. So the near term is not looking that good. The other thing that surprised me was that inter-island travel is down significantly. Um, Hawaiian is the only game in town and connecting the the islands of Hawaii and archipelago. And, um, but how surprising if, if people aren't coming to Hawaii, then they've lost half of their inter-island traffic. Well, that's right? true. But there's also people who live in Lihue who need to get to Honolulu for a doctor's appointment or, or to buy a car or, you know, just, just for the hell of it. And, um, those people aren't traveling either, which is, which kind of surprised me. I thought there was a lot there, you know, before the pandemic, there was so much mobility within the islands. And now that, that appears to ha still be down significantly from 2019 levels. Now, see, I wonder if that's a structural change that, that we're going to see affecting airline like flying. People are going to be flying less inter-island. I don't know. Well, what Did are they, they going to do, swim? <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> like, uh, they, they have to travel. I mean, the way that, you know, uh, the I've heard said several times that there are a lot of people who have to come from some of the smaller islands to Honolulu for to go visit specialists or for advanced medical care. And um, you mentioned cars. I was going to say Amazon.com doesn't sell, uh, sell new Hondas yet. Actually, um, it, it's often cheaper for Hawaiians to fly to San Diego and buy a car there and have it shipped to, to Hawaii than to buy one in Honolulu. Wow. So I don't know how that traffic is doing. <laughs> but um, but yeah, there is a, there's quite a quite a lot of traffic between maritime traffic between San Diego and Honolulu carrying cars for people who, uh, who buy, who live on the islands, but we digress. <laughs> we do. We digress. And what about the other airline that we heard from this week? JetBlue, Madhu, how, how, what is their outlook? JetBlue is feeling pretty positive about the quarter too. Um, mainly because, and this was it, this, you know, stood out to me. Chief executive Robin Hayes noted that JetBlue is in, by definition, a leisure carrier, and it has the infrastructure in place to handle increasing leisure traffic. And um, with the holidays, it feels like it's in a really good place that it it is it's ready to capitalize on the return and demand in the fourth quarter. So that that was kind of interesting to me. Nice. Well, that's that's good to hear. And you know, they've got they've still faced the DOJ challenge to the Northeast Alliance that they have with American. And it, it, I'm guessing, you know, I spoke with Joanna Garrity, the president at the Ada ADM about a month or half of, you know, at the beginning of October. And they're pretty confident in their, um, you know, that they are going to win in that suit. I mean, did they talk about that at all? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They defended the Northeast Alliance um, and really, really, really vigorously uh, for, Robin Hayes believes or said that the Northeast Alliance could result in $800 million in annual consumer benefits. Now, I'm not sure how he got that math, but he he stressed and Joanna stressed as well that, you know, the Northeast Alliance brings sort of a third, more, a viable third carrier to what is essentially a duopoly in the New York, New York metropolitan area between Delta and United. And the combination of American and JetBlue um, just just breaks that up a little bit and will result in lower fares, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, all the things you expect them to yeah. say. But I mean, as we know, the main benefit for JetBlue is that it's it will tap into a very rich vein of Americans' um, corporate clients. Something that's like, right. It's so, funny you mentioned you mentioned earlier how you know they're they're look they're look bullish on the outlook considering their leisure focus, but then. 
this alliance is going to give them this huge access to the corporate market that yeah. they, they don't have currently. Absolutely. And it's similar to something Alaska said um, when um, it was touting the West Coast alliance it has with America. And that's, uh, you know, JetBlue is a leisure carrier. It does not, and it's not, it's only international routes are to sort of near Latin America and um, the Caribbean. And a lot, giving its customers access to Americans' global network really, you know, makes it a, a more attractive proposition for corporate travel managers. It'll be interesting to see how that works. Of course, I don't think we'll, we'll see those numbers for at least about a year or so, considering where corporate travel stands right now. But it's it's going to see if that, that works out. And of course, whatever happens with the DOJ suit, though, uh, like we've seen in many other situations, I'm sure uh, there will probably be a settlement at some point. Well, here's so. something interesting, Ned, about when we talk about corporate travel. Um, JetBlue says, in, you know, before pandemic, the pandemic hit, about 20% of its revenue came from business travelers. The industry average is about 30%. So it wants, it's hoping the Northeast Alliance gets it up to that 30%. What was interesting was that uh, now, guess how much, what percentage of JetBlue's revenue comes from business travel now? Like today. I'm going to guess 5%. Exactly. Between 5 and 10%. So, so it's been uh, half. It's been more than half. Yeah, it's been more than half. A quarter, you could say. Or one-sixth. <laughs> Sixth. Um, if you consider the industry average. Um, and that, so you're right. I mean, business travel, the effects of this um, alliance won't be felt for a while because business travel really is a fraction of what it was. And I, you know, we've both been covering these earnings for a while now, and we've heard the same thing over and over that business travel will come back. Now they're saying the first quarter, you know, they bumped that back from Labor Day. Um, but I don't know if I've heard an airline quantify the percentage of its revenue that comes from business travel travel now. Have you? No, I haven't. As I've been sitting here uh, racking my brain to think of uh, the number, the amount of, of revenue in America and United and Delta that comes from business travel. And, you know, I, I don't know that off the top of my head. Yeah, no, they, I, know, I know where they said it's recovered too, but we don't know what percentage they're talking about. That's a, that's a good, good question. Yeah. And so if you think of it, you know, JetBlue made 20 to 25% of its revenue from business travel in 2019. Now, in the month of October, it's making 5 to 10%. That is a lot of ground to recover. <laughs> that, that definitely is. That and definitely I have to is. think that, that those figures are similar or ballpark for the other carriers. Right. Yeah. Or the, I mean, the ratio, probably. I mean, you know. Well, so if you think about it, if they were 20% before and they're now, if they're at five, they're below others. Delta and United was said they're between 50 and 60% right now recovered. So right. it, it would be a little higher than what JetBlue's at, but right. um, not, not by much. Not by much. And so that shows you just how far, the, uh, how far off the business travel recovery is. It's interesting. For sure. For sure. All right. Let's squeeze in a quick break here, Ned. And we're back. Um, Madhu, you got the chance to listen to Boeing's earnings call. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, the 27th. And Boeing, you know, they, they dropped their numbers, more losses. But what did they have to say about that, about the market? Okay, so the good news is, let's start with the good news. The good news is the Boeing's loss was um, was sharply narrower than it was just a year ago. 
Now, remember the a year ago, it was um, the company was in the depths of the max grounding, and now it's you know it maxes are flying in, but it's still posted lost. It was about one hundred and thirty two million dollars for the quarter versus four hundred and sixty six last year. Um, so that's the good news. <laughs> That should set the tone for for the rest of the call. <laughs> a smaller loss, but still a loss. Yes. Um, Boeing's got some issues, man. I mean, they they have the the good news is again, all things being relative, is the Max is back in the air and flying. Um, China still has not recertified the aircraft for um, reentry, and all of Boeing seems to think that they will get recertification by the end of the year deliveries will resume next year but just look think about the scale of this right i mean ned you and i both have covered and to our listeners you've probably many of you have probably been to a thing like a farnborough air show or a paris air show where you see or hear about nothing but orders and deliveries um the analyst kaivon rumor from cohen and company asked a really interesting question so boeing is planning to ramp up production of the 737 the max from about 19 aircraft a month now to 31 aircraft a month next year. It still has 400 odd aircraft that are sitting on its parking lots all over the place that have to be delivered. Wow, it's one, 400. That's a lot. Yeah. And so Kaivon Rumors math was that with the increased production, so Bo- aircraft coming off the line, plus this inventory, they'll have to be, Boeing will have to be in a position to de- deliver almost 500 aircraft next year. of just 737 maxes. Where are they at this point this year? Like for the full year, not just, not just the, the quarter, but where are they? Okay, we'll, we'll get that number. <laughs> we'll get that number. But, you know, I mean, they delivered 62 in the quarter. Um, so, I mean, they, they, it's doable. Uh, it's doable. It's a big ramp. They didn't say, assuming they said 60 every quarter, though I'm pretty sure that number's fine. That's a long way from 500. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, Calhoun, uh, Chief Executive Dave Calhoun admitted, yeah, it's a, you know, he disputed uh, Kai Von Rumer's math a little bit, but he said he was in the ballpark. Um, but said, you know, we just have, to, as the quote was, we just have to get better about delivering the max. So it's going to be, they've got that to worry about. They're ramping up. I mean, they're almost doubling, um, almost doubling um, production, and you know they're 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 worried about the supply ch- their supply chain and whether the suppliers will have enough um, employees to handle this. I mean, there's a labor shortage all over the country. Yeah, um, oh, definitely. I mean, that's that's plaguing. I mean, we we don't talk about that here, but it's plaguing industries across the board. And it's just. Reading about restaurants in D.C. having to drive to New Jersey to pick up uh, goods because there aren't truck drivers to drive them. That's the other concern. They're worried about logistics um, because, you know, Boeing is sort of a parts integrator. And and if you think of it, uh, they're they're putting together pieces of aircraft that come from all over the world. And there's, you know, there's a hundred odd ships sitting outside the port of Long Beach right now. And we're all worried about getting our Christmas presents on time. So, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm being... You know, I'm simplifying things. So they're worried about labor, logistics, and the rising cost of raw materials as they almost double production of the max. So that's that's another thing. They've got that. Um, and, uh, of course, there's the 787 problem. The the uh, quality issues that have kept the stop deliveries of that plane for some months now. I know American Airlines wasn't very happy last week. They've had to shift... Uh, 
at least eight deliveries into 2022 and cut why long haul flying in the fourth quarter and first quarter because of that. So, you know, they're eager to get their hands on those planes. What's, yeah. what's the latest there? Well, I mean, the, there's no timeline for when, when that fix will be, will happen. Boeing says, you know, it's in the rear view mirror, but the fixes are in the rear view mirror, but they still have to work to get regulatory clearance on, on those fixes. Um, but, uh, It'll eventually cost the company a billion dollars. It cost, uh, they took a charge of $183 million in the quarter and they expect that to rise to a billion dollars. So it's not. Which is serious, Chuck, considering the, the billions <laughs> of excess expenses Boeing incurred on the 787 program from its original delivery delays to the grounding of the 787. I mean, I, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it's, you know, tens of billions of dollars in excess costs that's added on top of it. On top of it. That's coming and being added on top of it. And I have a great quote from Dave Calhoun who said, quote, the irony, of the, the irony of the whole story is that the Boeing 787 is the most utilized wide body out there. He's confident demand will re- return in the second half of next year, but um, they, they just have to work through this. And then, Ned, as we know, there's the 777X. <laughs> the 777X. So much promise. Now it's been pushed back to the end of 2023 for deliveries. And we know, I mean, we've, covered, we've both covered this. Emirates, among others, is not too pleased about that. Nope. Emirates, the largest, largest customer of the 777X, is not too pleased at all about that. You know, Tim Clark was not speaking positively at all uh, for Boeing's issues. Um, you know, uh, at the AGM. So still seem keen to take the aircraft, but not happy with Boeing. Yeah. So they, they don't know what, I mean, they said, you know, they put a lot of time into the fixes. The aircraft is flying their test flights. It's just a matter of working with regular regulators on getting, getting it certified. And they're confident that they'll get to 2023, but We'll see. I mean, so there's a, you know, there's a lot of issues going on at Boeing right now. I mean, the good, the, as we said, the good news is that the MAX is back and it's flying and it's still in, in demand by airlines. But uh, in the wide body space, it's, um, it's got some problems. Definitely. Clearly. Clearly. Now, one bright spot, and this is, you know, my favorite topic is, uh, (laughs) is the Boeing sees huge demand for freighters. In fact, this year, in the year to date, in the last, in the first nine months of this year, it has sold more, had orders for more freighters than in any other time in its history, in any single year in its history. So, so it's, uh, it's uh, got at least that going for it. That's for sure. We'll, um, you know, see how that goes. I mean, it's good for going. Of course, I know Airbus is talking about the A350 freighter. So, right. Bring we'll some keep competition. Watching. Keep watching. So let's let's shift focus a little bit, Ned. And you you covered Avianca's and I, and hats off to you. You took one for the team. You listened to the Avianca bankruptcy court hearing. I did, and I was very disappointed that no one yelled, "I object," or "You can't <laughs> handle the truth at this hearing," which I really was looking forward to. Uh, but I digress. So Avianca earlier this or I guess last uh, earlier this week when you listen to this had their confirmation hearing for their Chapter 11 reorganization plan. Uh, it's a plan that they, they pivot to a more leisure-focused future. You know, uh, CEO Adrian Neuhauser uh, told us that you know, they're expecting 50 to 60% of business travel to disappear after the pandemic, and you know, they're reconfiguring planes with more seats, 
uh, more point-to-point routes, cutting costs. Uh, according to their documents, they've cut costs 41%. Casamex is down 41% during the restructuring. So they put this plan, uh, it's been in front of the court for a few months, since August, and the judge finally heard confirmation uh, hearing on it. And 99% of funders support the plan. So it's um, it seems like a slam dunk for approval. That said, there is that one percent of creditors that object to the plan, and they they made their case during the hearing. And after eight hours of listening to the back and forth, the judge gave those creditors until Thursday, so that would be October twenty eighth, and the close of business to file any further comments. And then uh, we sit back and wait for him to rule. So you know, the, what I took away from the hearing is creditors, uh, you know. Avianca's partner, United Airlines, which has been walked away with 16.4% equity in the airline, they all support the reorganization plan. And based on the my you know, past coverage of reorganizations, when you have that kind of support behind a plan, the judge is more than likely going to approve it. Right. Now, whether they change some wording in the documents to accommodate the you know, several creditors who are unhappy remains to be seen. But it, it seems like the momentum favors Avianca's plan and for an exit from Chapter 11 in, in the coming months. Wow. All right. Yeah. I mean, when you get 99% of supportive creditors, it's probably it's probably a lock. But as you said, I mean, you know, judges got to judge. So <laughs> absolutely. I was very disappointed when the end of the day came and the judge decided not to rule. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> we will find out soon. And you sure we'll definitely be hearing it here on the Airline Weekly Lounge once they do decide on that plan and and map their exit from chapter 11. And that is as good a place to end as any. Now, Ned, thanks for joining us. To our listeners, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you, Madhu. Have a good one. You too. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week. 